Welcome back to the Snow Only Podcast. This is your host, Gorda Van. And today, by popular demand, and I've had several emails wanting, uh, wanting me to uh, get this guy on the, uh, on the, interview, on the uh, podcast, Bobby Donahue, um, Snowmobile Hall of Famer. Bobby, how you doing? Hey, good, good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you on. I, you know, I always had you in my uh, in my uh, my list there to to get on, um, and I hope you've had a, an opportunity to uh, to look at some of my, listen to some of my other podcasts uh, because a lot of them where you're where you're racing uh, uh, compatriots themselves. Um, so, Snowmobile Hall of Famer. So, what do you do? What are you doing now, Bobby? Well, actually, uh, I'm actually running uh, a Donahue Super Sports, which is a, uh, a Yamaha Skidoo BRP uh, recreational power sports store that my mother and father started back uh, in 1966. Uh, so uh, uh, after my racing career of snowmobiles ended, I continued to race motocross for many years and, and flat track some, too, with motorcycles. And uh, after I kind of got too old for all of that stuff, uh, uh, my brothers and I decided it's time uh, that we uh, buy my mother and dad out, and we kind of enlarged our business and developed uh, our business into quite a bit bigger store and quite a bit bigger customer base. And uh, uh, we've been, you know, we've been fortunate to be uh, very successful. We got just an unbelievable customer base of good, loyal uh, customers that uh, keep this place alive, and, and we continue to grow. And we're very, very fortunate. Yeah, great. Uh, that's nice. You can uh, retire your parents and uh, move right into the job. Not not many people can do that. That's a good career path. <laughs> Wish we all could do yeah, that. Well, you know, my mom and dad did all the hard work. All we got to do is not screw it up. You know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. Talk about one of your one of your customers. I got an email from one of your customers, and he says when he comes in there, one of your loyal customers says when he comes in here, he just loves to talk to you about your racing. So uh, shout out to uh, to your customers there. They they really enjoy uh, talking to you. So. Um, okay, Bobby. So let's, uh, let's let, let's start here. So, what exactly was your your career path? When did you start racing? Well, man, it's a long story. Um, um, I actually started racing on my twelfth birthday. Um, my mother and father had started their dealership when I was eight years old, and I always had a love and a knack of of you know motorcycles is really what it started with, and and my dad had a uh, uh, I traded in some kind of a moped-type scooter thing that you had to pedal to start it. And he said, uh, "This is now remember, I'm eight years old now, and he, he <laughs> gives this to me, and he says, hey, he said, if you can make it run, it's yours. <laughs> well, of course, it didn't run. You know, I'm eight years old. You know, we got a problem here. And uh, uh, through the process of a few weeks and the help of my uncle, uh, he taught me the basics of what it takes to make an engine run. You know, uh, uh, you know, spark, fuel, and compression, and we went through that. It took me a couple of days just to find out uh, every one of those processes. So I would go out and pedal up and down the driveway with this moped, and of course it didn't start. And after I was winded, and I'd be standing there huffing and puffing, my my dad's brother, Uncle Buzz, would say, "Well, did you get it started?" I'd say, "No." He said, "Well, does it have a spark?" I said, "I don't know." <laughs> he says, "Well, let's go find out." So we we took the spark plug out and plugged it into the you know spark plug cap and spun the motor over on the stand and and uh, nope no spark he says well it isn't going to start if you don't have spark and sure enough you know we figured out one of the switches was off you know dumb eight year old kid what did I know and so after a few days we got spark so then a few days later because keeping in mind that wasn't my full time job my full time job was sweeping the floor and dusting things and taking out the garbage 
because I was there to work, not to not to make a motorcycle run for myself. And then uh, I think a few days later we found out, you know, it, it still didn't run, and I'd pedal up and down the driveway, and I'd come back in and say, Uncle Buzz, it won't start yet. <laughs> well, has it got fuel? I said, I don't know. Well, so let's find out. And, of course, you know, we pedaled around and found out if it had fuel and you know, the carburetor was plugged up or the fuel valve or something. Um, and that uh, we finally got it to got fuel, and, of course, then I had to leave it sit for a few more days because I had to work, and then I'd come back to it, and pretty much I'd go up and down the driveway. It still wouldn't start. I go, Uncle Buzz, it still won't start. He says, Well, it's got compression. I don't know. <laughs> so, sure enough, uh, it uh, it didn't have any compression. It had a blown head gasket, and uh, you know we, he helped me replace the you know head gasket on a two-stroke, which is pretty simple, and put it in. And the next thing I knew, I had a moped that ran. So that was my first vehicle. Yeah, nice. So one. then on my twelfth birthday. My dad said I could race. Uh, he said I'd been riding his moped around the yard, up and down and up and down and up and down. And he actually built me a motorcycle from the ground up with a Yamaha 100cc twin jet motor and a Grant Vantech frame with the spool hub front wheel and being pretty cool shit for its day. And uh, he built that, and uh, I actually went hill climbing because my dad was a, uh, a uh, uh, motorcycle hill climber, raced an Indian. Uh, and... Uh, I think I made it about 30 feet, and the chain fell off, and that was my first race. <laughs> Luckily, I improved a little bit over the ages, okay? Yeah. Because my yeah. first one was no success. Um, so anyhow, that's actually how the motorcycle side, or that's how racing started for me. And and then my dad was a snowmobile racer at the same time during the winter months uh, when he wasn't motorcycle racing, of course, in the summer. And our... Uh, uh, my dad's good friend Dick Trickle, which a, a lot of the I'm sure a lot of the uh, viewers are uh, uh, know that name. Dick Trickle, a very very popular stock car racer in the U.S. here, and and uh, also uh, a very successful snowmobile racer. He was uh, uh, my dad did all of his engine building for his machines uh, right from day one, and he kind of grabbed me by the by the horns uh, when I was about 14 years old and said, Hey, you know, uh, uh, you know you should let Bobby ride a, race a snowmobile. And my dad says, no, nah, them kids got to work. They don't have time to go racing. He, he, you know, he goes to races with me in the summer. And keep in mind, I have an older brother, Terry, and a younger brother, Troy. So there's three of us. And, of course, my dad, you know, being he grew up on a farm, he thought like a farmer, you know, if uh, you, know, you don't hire people, you just have your family work. That's cheaper, you know. <laughs> so that's what we did. My dad had three kids, and we all worked. That's three less employees he had to hire, right? Yep. So anyhow, in the end... Uh, in the end, uh, I went to a few races with Dick and, m- and my dad, and then by the time I was uh, 16, and I could actually race in the men's classes of oval racing, that is, um, my dad's business had grown too much, and he pretty much had to quit racing and uh, uh, just run the business. And Dick, uh, on his own, uh, just took me to the track with him. And little, little did I know till a few years ago, uh, not only did Dick take me to the races, but um, uh, Dick uh, paid my entry fees and Dick signed all my waivers and you know Dick was always under some kind of a sponsorship program with which was Kalamazoo Engineering at yeah. first and then later uh, uh, later on uh, that turned into Roten uh, and then and the end of my career was Woody so I always had sponsorship well Dick always you know used his sponsorship to help me too and that's actually how my name got known and that's how I I learned the sport of snowmobile racing was through dick trickle so so what a mentor to have in life uh as far as racing goes absolutely um, yeah dick was he, uh, 
you know, probably there's a guy that any one of us could think of a name who's won more races in their life, uh, especially if you add his uh, stock car racing career to his snowmobile career than Dick Trickle, you know. And here's a guy, you know, literally lives, you know, five, six miles from our from our home, and he's the guy taking me to races and teaching me all the ins and outs of snowmobile racing. And so that's really how I got started into the sport. And, and, and of course, um, I developed as a driver, and, you know, I started to learn the mechanical and the technical side of it a lot more. And that's probably what helped my career more than anything is I don't think I was ever that great a driver. I became pretty good in the end, but um, I had a really, really good mechanical sense. Um, because of basically those lessons my uncle Buzz taught me when I was eight years old, you know, and, and that just continued to develop. And, and that's, uh, that's, you know, really helped propel my career, whether it was oval racing or snowcross or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you a quick story about my snowmobile oval racing career with Dick Trickle. So we go, we go to the first race, right? And, and, uh, or we're, we're getting ready to go to the first race. So it's like November of, uh, 1973. So it's a 74 racing season, right? Yep. And uh, and I think, and I don't remember right, but it's either International Falls or Ironwood was the first race. So it's like November, and my dad's working on Dick's motors and stuff and getting his stuff ready, and, and Dick says, hey, how are you coming on Bobby's sled? Because <laughs> my dad wants to build me a sled, right? Because that's my dad. He, you know, he doesn't think anything in the showroom's good enough, and everything can be made better. Cause that was always my dad's... Uh, motto in life is whoever makes it someone else can always make it better because we're all just people right so so uh about two weeks go by now it's about mid-november and hey you know he's checking dick's checking out his motors and see how my dad's doing and stuff and and then in the end how are you coming on bobby's sled oh yeah I, I haven't quite got going on it yet but i got a lot of the parts put together <laughs> and uh now it's like a week before the first race and Dick says to my dad, uh, you know, Dick's <laughs> engines are all done, and Dick's getting the sleds ready to go. And are you coming on Bobby's sleds and or sled? And uh, oh God, yes, I'm just busy. I just haven't got to it yet, but I'll get it done. I'll get it done. And he says, Bob. He said, We're going racing in a week. He said, <laughs> You got a crankshaft, crankcase, a cylinder, a piston, a head, an engine, and you know, a tunnel. Um, uh, you got all this stuff. And he says, That ain't that sled ain't even going to run in a week. He says. <laughs> Just go on the showroom and give him that GPX 338 and let the kid race that so he can learn how to race. Oh, geez, Dick, you know, I, I can't do that. That's a brand-new sled and all that. Well, you know what? Dick Trickle would be the only guy in the world that could ever talk my dad into that. It really? Did. Somehow he, he twisted my arm, and, and my dad looked up to Dick so much, and those two were such good friends that he took a brand-new 1974 GPX 338 right out of the showroom, and he said, okay, Son, here it is. This is yours to race. Um, whatever you do with it is yours. It's the last thing I'm giving you. Um, if you wreck it, that's all you got. You're going to have to learn how to fix it. And blah blah blah. And you know, so he gave me the old father-son speech. You know. Yeah. And uh, that was my first race in snowmobile. It was a 1974 GPX 338. Awesome. So we go to the first race, right? I uh, I'm in whatever stock C it was called back then, 340 stock or 338 stock class, and. Uh, I make it all the way to the first corner, and I flip over. <laughs> and, of course, I break the windshield, and, you know, I know my ass is grass because that's, that's not going to be happy. And uh, I go back, and, of course, Dick's got, like, three or four sleds he's racing, and he races every stock and mod stock and modified class you can think of. And uh end of the day, you know, we're, we're on our way home, and he says, well, how did you do today? And I said, 
not very good. He says, oh, what happened? He says, I said, well, I went in the first corner, and those guys cut me off and flipped me over. <laughs> he says, what do you mean they cut you off and flipped you over? He says, yeah, yeah. I said, I went in the corner, and I said, and those guys, they cut right across my ski tips, and I flipped over. Wow, he said, those guys must not like you, huh? <laughs> and I, and I'm a 16-year-old kid. They don't know me from Adam, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking, I said, yeah, you're right. I don't know why they don't. So he said, well, he said, you know, you're going to have to think about how come that happened. He said, I, I got an idea of why it happened. And on a napkin, he drew out the racetrack, the inside of the track, the outside of the track. And he uh, said, now you tell me where you were and tell me where those guys were and all that. And he said, well, he said, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, they were ahead of you, and you just can't drive in there and, and expect them to move over for you. You know, he said, you you, you got to let off or do something different, you know. Okay, Dick, sounds good. So next week comes, and we go to, um, I don't know where, another track. Uh, I think it was Wausau, Wisconsin. Sure shit, same thing happens. <laughs> I drive into the first corner, flip it over in the first corner again. Same thing. Same thing Dick says to me. The same story at the end of the day. Man, he said, those guys must really not like you. He said, are you sure you didn't race motorcycles with them or something? You know, they just don't like you. And I, no, and I said, God, Dick, I said, they just, I just go in there and I said, they cut right across my skis and flipped me over. So sure enough, another broken windshield, you know, and, and that's as far. I mean, so I've, in two weeks of racing, I've made it just about through the first turn both times. That's as far as I've made it, you know. So I'm not getting a real, a lot of experience at this point. So, we go to the third race, and I think it was Rhinelander, if I'm not mistaken. And before I go on the track, he says, now listen, he said, I bought you two windshields and didn't tell your dad, but I'm not buying you a third one. <laughs> he said, so when you get into that first turn, he says, if you're behind him, let off the throttle, he says. This ain't no dirt bike. He said, it doesn't turn like a motorcycle, he said, you got to let off because they kind of slide, you know, especially in those days, they didn't turn very well, you know. Yeah. They just kind of pushed up the track, and he said, let off, and he said, maybe you can actually finish a lap. Let's make that our goal today. He said, let's see if you can make one whole lap around the track, and I could tell he was mad at me and chewing my butt out. So anyhow, as the story goes, I, I finished the race, and I'm sure I was probably last, but at least I didn't get crashed and, and blah, blah, blah. So that's how I learned from Dick Trickle the skills of racing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I found out that snowmobile racing and motorcycle racing, even though they're both on oval tracks, are totally, totally different sports because the vehicles handle so totally different. And I learned that at a young age. And and through time, those lessons that Dick uh, shared with me uh, proved well. You know, even when you get uh, older and more experienced and into tough situations, those uh, basics of racing, you know, like Racing 101, still are in place even today yet, you know. Yeah. Uh, when you forget your basics, that's when you, you know, that's when you're never going to be a consistent winner and definitely not a champion, you know. Yeah. But that's how it all started, you know. That's and, great. And, and I owe 100% of it, if not if not at least 99%, Dick would like 99 because that was his number, 99% of it to Dick for pushing my dad to say, hey, take that new GPX 338 out of the showroom and go, let's go racing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Okay, so uh, you, so so you started started uh, with the Yamahas, I guess. Um, um, talk, talk about your first real uh, first competitive years. Say that again. Your first competitive years. Uh, where did where did we start uh, racing at your, your your first competitive years? You mean where I got pretty good? Yeah, yeah. You, you... Um, so um, so that was seventy four and seventy five. I spent basically running around what we used to call Barnard 
barnyard races. I don't know what you call them up in Canada, but basically every snowmobile club in every city, you know, seemed like they had a snowmobile race, you know, and some of them were kind of hodgepodge tracks. Some of them were on county fair, uh, fair, you know, tracks, half-mile tracks and stuff. Um, but a lot of the stuff, you know, wasn't, you know, a lot of the tracks didn't have very good ice bases and stuff. Some of them were still on snow and all that. So yeah. that's how I started. And that was 74 and 75. And, and Dick, uh, Dick, you know, said by uh, like the mid of, mid of 1975, he said, you know, you're getting the hang of this now and you're doing pretty good. And, and, and my dad actually, I went, I actually went and bought her. I earned a, uh, another GPX. So I had a, a 75 model GPX 338 that I raced in stock. And then my dad took that 74 that I had and he modified that, put a Yamaha get kit on it and stuff. And so I got to race two classes that way. And, and that's how I got a lot more experience than in 75. So by 75, I was starting to go to the big races with Dick and, and most of the time I could make the final. I, I wasn't a top three place guy yet, but I could at least make the final most of the time. So that was a pretty big step because in those days, like 340 stock, for example, they might have hundreds, you know, 40, hundreds 50 guys in that class. Yeah. So to make it down to a six or an eight man final was a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, you know, it isn't, you know, it isn't like it is today, you know. And so because of that, the competition was really, really good. And then a lot of those guys that I were racing with were kids just like me, just learning, learning the ropes of the sport, you know. Um, and uh, so. That was 75. So then in 76, uh, Yamaha actually uh, uh, gave me a sled and, and, and gave me a little bit of the sponsorship that Dick had gotten. Because Dick, Dick was a, uh, a sponsored rider from Yamaha basically from the get-go, for, from what I remember at least as a young kid. Yeah. And in 76 then, uh, I got a new uh, SRX 340. And again, these snowmobiles, you know, other than that first one, I, I basically, you know, I, I paid for myself, you know, by working for my dad. That, that money I earned bought my racing stuff. You know, yep. my dad didn't give me that stuff anymore. It was, he stuck to his word. He gave me one and he only gave me one and that was it. <laughs> um, dog got it. Um, but it taught me the value of a dollar at least. Uh, yeah. But anyhow, so I got that and, and dad modified that and, uh, he actually, uh, kind of, ported that and took the pipes and the fuel injectors, the Circle M injectors and that, that he had on that 74 GPX that was modified. And he took those porting specs and all that and did that with the liquid-cooled SRX. So because I could only afford one sled, he, uh, he, made, a, a, he made a kit, uh, basically cylinders, head, injectors, pipes, uh, that I could switch uh, overnight uh, between racing stock on Saturday and then racing mod stock on Sunday. Wow, that'd be a lot of and work. And then in a different clutch, and then in, in, in a different. Uh, oh, we changed the gearing, uh, the primary clutch, and then the top end of the motor. And I, you know, I was by that point I was like seventeen years old. I was definitely, you know, very a good enough mechanic. I could do all that stuff by myself, you know. So we did that. So we go to Alexandria, Minnesota, the first race of the year, and I got third in stock that on Saturday. Um, and that was a, a big, big accomplishment for me. Um, and by then, I was getting pretty aggressive. You know, I've been racing. I was a pro flat track AMA racer, a dirt bike racer. So, you know, and I raced, you know, every weekend all summer long across the United States, not just in Wisconsin. So I'd really started to come into my own as a racer. And and then on uh, Sunday, um, 
I actually won mod stock with it and beat guys like uh, Larry Ruglin, Larry Coltham, um, and they, they, those, some of those factory guys were, had a, like a mod stock size because that yeah. was kind of important to these manufacturers to win in some of those lower classes, so they'd put their good riders on it to do that. So um, I won mod stock, and, and Dick came up to my dad, and he said, hey, he says, enter Bobby and Snow Pro. <laughs> and my dad says, geez, Dick, you can't race Snow Pro. He's just a kid. You know, Dick says, come on, you know, go enter him. He says, you know, they, you got like 15 minutes yet. You know, we can get him entered. And I know Jim Bilkey, you know, he'll take the registration for it, you know. You know, and uh, dad says, no way, Dick. He's just a kid. He can't race with those guys. And uh, so Dick, unbeknownst to myself or my dad, goes and registers me really? in the 340 <laughs> Snow Pro class. Uh, now, keep in mind, this is a sled I raced as a stocker on Saturday with my dad's kit raced it in mod stock that Sunday morning. And then Sunday afternoon was, you know, the bigger, the higher level races. And I'll be damned, I won the Snow Pro 340 class with that sled. Really? What did Dick say about that? <laughs> my dad was just like, I didn't know what to say, you know. And my dad was never one to really give anybody a whole lot of credit, or especially his kids, you know. And he said, well... Damn, that thing is fast. That's all you said. <laughs> Damn, that thing is fast. And it was. Yeah. I mean, I went right by Larry Coltham's cat like he was bolted to the ground. And uh, and my dad could make anything fast. I mean, and you know, obviously a lot of my career I owe, owe to him completely because of that. But in the end, in the end, I won the Snow Pro 340 class. I bring it into the teardown. And the guy, the teardown guy said, well, this is a sled I teched yesterday. I said, yeah. He said, well, that was a stalker. I said, yeah, it's the same sled. He said, no, it's not. you got pipes and all that. <laughs> I said, no, I switched it over at night. No, you didn't. You're cheating. Where's your <laughs> other sled? Where's the sled that you just raced? <laughs> you know, he thought I was racing like Dick's 440 yeah, or something. Yeah. That's what he thought. So he accused me of all kinds of things, and I said, just a minute. I went and got Dick and went and got my dad, and my and Dick and my dad talked to him, you know, whoever the tech guy was. You know, again, I was just a young kid, you know, and... uh the guy couldn't believe it. He says, this thing beat all those factory sleds? And, yep. So that's where I got the nickname Bobby Who. Really? Because yeah. they, they said, well, who won the 340 class? Bobby, uh, I don't know who. I, I don't know how you say his last name. It's Bobby <laughs> Kid from the Trickles, 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 Trickles Buddy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's how my racing career really started flying was with that race. So Alexandria uh, uh, race of the 1976 season, I won my very first Snow Pro 340 race I ever entered, and from that point on, my career went nothing but straight up. Yeah, and that would, uh, I mean that that was a, a huge year because uh, all the factories uh, came out with uh, um, there the, were the racing sleds, you know, the Yamaha, the SRXs, and uh, two of them. Yeah, everybody had a yeah. liquid cooled. Yeah. you know, it was like the first year of liquid cooled really, full-on yeah. racing sleds. Yep, that was, and, and the, I beat you know Rugland was in there, and uh, Leroy Lindblad, and Larry Coltham, and. Uh, uh, Davey Thompson, and I can't remember the Polaris guys, you know, who were in there at the time, but every factory had, you know, two, three guys, you know, a snow pro, it was yeah, where all yeah. the big boys race. Yeah, yeah. No, no, so, you raced anyhow, against Dick then, I, eh? I, I, I continued to race snow pro then the rest of the year after that, and I actually had won a couple more races that year, and uh, I'll be damned, uh, Yamaha gave me a full factory ride the next year for 77 then, so then it was Dick and I. Yeah. And I okay. actually was getting paid to race a snowmobile, so I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And you, so you were like, what, 17, 18 years old? Yep, then? 17 yep. years old, yep. Wow, that's incredible, yeah. Yep, long oh, yeah. hair hanging down to my shoulders. My, <laughs> I was on the picture, uh, they had my uh, my uh, picture winning that race 
um, uh, getting the checkered flag or crossing the finish line. I was on the cover of the USSA Snow Track magazine um, that month, and and uh, I thought, wow, man, you know, I'm a rock star. You now. made it now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was pretty cool. You know, that's how my that's really how my uh, my career, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, really really accelerated after that, and that was all with Yamaha. And the reason I wasn't racing. Skidoo at the time, we didn't sell Skidoo yet. You know, you got to. Uh-huh. We were a moto ski and a Yamaha dealer, and of course, you know, we didn't become a Skidoo dealer until Skidoo bought out Moto Ski, and that's how we became a Skidoo dealer. So, so the very next year goes. Now it's 1977, and I did I did real well. Although we only had uh, in Snowpro, we had leaf spring sleds, and you know, most of the other companies had developed some type of a IFS front end for their Snowpro sleds. Yeah. Um, and uh and I did well um I did you know really well uh with with the leaf spring yamaha yet even believe it or not against all that good stuff and uh I'm trying to think um uh, what happened oh so uh we finished out that 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 year of racing and um the very last race of the year was uh Bangor Maine uh-huh. it was the Paul Bunyan championship out there it's a 15 lap or 20 lap excuse me final out there and um you know Polaris has got you know their midnight blue express you know those those yep. three guys you know healing thorson and bunky you know on their ifs sleds by then arctic you know uh Coltum and thompson and elsner had ifs sleds skidoo you know had that art what everybody called the art vark you know that was yep. uh hayes and shabitsky and rugland and uh that group of guys and uh i finished fourth in that 20 lap final race on an uh, on a on a leaf spring Yamaha. Yeah. Okay. With all those uh, with all those IFS sleds and the factory uh, race team manager for Skidoo saw that and he was there at that at that race and Larry Coltham was behind me the whole race. Yeah. Uh-huh. And was probably never more than a sled length behind me and he could not pass me that whole race and he called me like the next you know like monday after that and he said we want to offer you a ride for next year so that's how i became a factory skidoo rider was uh-huh. based on my performance in that race and uh it was a tough decision for me to make because we didn't sell skidoo in our store yet um you know i'm a yamaha guy right i'm a yeah. yamaha kid yeah. i grew up with yamaha that's all i knew and and my dad's you know business is you know is more important than me racing and you know, I got the call from Skidoo, and, uh, and this went on for a few months because I told him I didn't know if I was interested, and the guy kept calling back and kept calling back, and pretty soon uh, I just said to my dad, I said, you know, what do you think? You know, I said, Dad, I, I was afraid to ask my dad. I was afraid he was going to just chew my ass out, you know? Yeah. You know, like, like, what are you, nuts? And he said, you know, he said, son, if you want to be a racer and you're going to make a living racing, he said, you've got to do what's best for you. He said, you know, he said, uh, your mother and I, you know, we'll, our business will do just fine no matter what you do. Um, so if you want to race that damn skidoo, you go right ahead. Yeah, we'll find another guy <laughs> to sweep the floor. I could tell happy, but, and I said, well, that's probably as good an endorsement I'm ever going to get from my dad to go race that skidoo. And they were offering me what seemed like an enormous amount of money to a kid 18 years old or yeah. 19 years old, you know. And, uh, and I thought, well, geez, I at least owe it to Yamaha to at least, you know, talk to him first because they hadn't called me, you know. Yeah. So I called the race team manager, and, and, and I basically, I didn't tell him the offer, but I told him that, you know, Skidoo had called, and he said, well, he said, uh, you know, I, I, all I know is uh, this, uh, 
we're, we just hired Shabitsky as our number one driver. Uh, and, you know, we're definitely would like you to be part of the team and here's what we can offer you. And it's like, yep. it was like one tenth of what Skidoo was offering me. Really? Yeah. And I, so I, so I, I talked to my dad about it again. I talked to Trickle about it and they both said, you're nuts if you don't go race at Skidoo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they said, you know, it, you know, it doesn't matter what your heart's telling you. This is racing and it's business, young man, you know, and you got to realize that, you know, and it's not just about money, but if it was close, he said, you know, like Dick said, he said, if it was reasonably close, he said, I'd stick with Yamaha because they've helped you in the past. But he said, uh, he said, they got to understand the value of you too. And he said, you know, and, and they can, they can say what they want about, you know, Ed Chabitsky and veterans. He said, but you know, he said, the future of the sport is you and guys like you. He said, you know, guys like Chabitsky in a couple of years will be gone and they'll have no value to the company at all. Yeah. He said, so, yeah. so, you know, I learned the business side of all of that again from Dick, you know, now, so did, in did the you, end, I did you, um, new offer. Did you, uh, did you, did you, uh, uh, assess the, the, the sleds, uh, uh, from Yamaha or, uh, or Skidoo? Because they're, this is the first year that they're coming out with, uh, independence. Uh, the Skidoo had yeah, the so Blizzard. Yeah, so this is the first year that they're the making a, SSR. A, a factory made and factory sold IFS sled that, you know, that, uh, racers can either buy or, you know, get sponsored with to have them because nobody else had them that anybody else other than the factory could get at that point. So yeah. 78 was the first year of that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's when racing exploded because everybody could buy one of these new sleds. You know, the, 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 the great news was, is the Yamaha was not a very good snowmobile. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> to to I mean, say the SSR, uh, was terrible would be an overstatement, um, or be an understatement, excuse me. It was probably one of the worst out of the box racing sleds ever built. It was, uh, in trickles terms, it was a flexi flyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I swear to God, he said that they uh, they made the frame out of rubber, not out of uh, steel or chromoly. He said, or, or aluminum or chromoly. And uh, so, anyhow, I, I you know I got on the Skidoo team and moved to Valcour, Quebec. You know, which uh, at that age was a really really big change in my life. You know, to move to a French speaking province and basically no Americans up there at all, all French Canadians. And and Doug Hayes, my teammate, was extremely extremely helpful and helping me with the uh the transition from you know missing home to being able to deal with working everybody that i don't know and you know again i've i've worked with dick and my dad and my brothers all my life and now i'm with nobody i know yeah yeah and even doug hayes i didn't know i mean he was a stranger to me too at the time i didn't i didn't know him he was some older than me and it wasn't a guy i even said hi to at the racetrack i didn't know him so it was really a challenging situation for me psychologically to be there but we did well. We had really, really good sleds, but we had a terrible, terrible ignition problem that year, um, and we didn't finish a lot of races, but we sure led a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of you know that was my career with Skidoo, and it, and it kind of moved on from there. You know? Now those those uh, that, that Skidoo race shop that was a very busy race shop uh, that that first year because there was uh, there was other independents uh, working out of that race shop too. Um, um, you know, you had Villeneuve's uh, in there. Um, you had uh, all kinds of Skidoo racers. Uh, yeah, it was working. kind of a it was kind of a, a mess to be honest, because you know the this, the 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 program I was told is we're the only two there. Yeah, Doug uh, and I, and of course I went to work on October first there, and we built all these sleds from scratch. Yep. Um, you know, in the shop ourselves, you know, along with the uh, you know along with the uh, uh, race you know the race shop guys. Um, and then about the time it's race time, all of a sudden 
I swear to God, there was 20 guys in that shop one day, you know, different racers, you know, like yeah. you said, oh, yeah. it yeah. wasn't the Velnevs, it was the Van Dolders, it was yeah. the the Cody racing team, it was, uh, oh man, I, I I know I'm forgetting half of them. That there was lots of them, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. 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 must have sold hundreds of them damn IFS racing sleds, yeah. and I swear every one of them was in that shop at one time, and we weren't getting nothing done, so I kind of got... You know, I kind of figured out this ain't this isn't working. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to at at uh, you know come in late in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to work. You know, and then as soon as everybody gets the hell out of there at five o'clock, I'm going to start getting some real work done. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the way we used to do it here at the shop. Because my dad had a rule that you could never work on race stuff while we were open. Because in other words, customers always came first, and and when you're working, you're working for me. You're not working for you. Yeah. So business uh, business first, racing second. So I said, well, if that's the way Skidoo is going to do it, and they're going to have all these people running around in here while I'm trying to get something done, to hell with it. I'll just help them and do what I can to get through the day or build parts or something. And then at the end of the day, when everybody goes home and there's just my mechanic and I, we'll work till midnight, one, two in the morning. All night. So yeah. that's what we did. Yeah. yeah. And it worked well. Yeah. And we tested. Did a lot of a lot of midnight testing. That was probably uh, one of the things that nobody had ever done until I got there is uh, we would go out to the test track, you know, which is basically where the Valkyrie Racing is held now. Yep. That was Skidoo's test track at the time, and we would run lap after lap after lap, you know, 250, 340, 440, clutch, 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 handling shocks, springs, tracks, you name it. You know, we tried it all. Mm-hmm. That's great. Fantastic. I mean, all the manufacturers probably had that same situation uh, with uh, building those uh, sleds that year. Because uh, I don't think any of them were really prepared for the popularity of uh, of the the new independence. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was crazy. I mean, I, I, it was literally hundreds of them. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it, yeah. You know, they didn't build five or ten. I mean, it was hundreds of. You know, I, I bet you there was you know over a hundred of each size. You know, one you know two fifties, three forties, and four forties. And back then, you know, they had all three classes. And of course, we did too as factory drivers. We competed in. Uh, you know, Snow Pro 250, Snow Pro 340, Snow Pro 440, and then they also had 440X back then too. Yeah. So yeah, we uh, we had our hands full. You know, yeah. it was a lot of work. So so how did you end up doing that for that first year? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, of course, you know, we gauge everything off of Eagle River. Eagle River yeah. is one year. Yeah. You know, that's one season, and then the rest of the year is a whole other season. Okay. And <laughs> I uh, I ran good at Eagle and. Um, I, uh, in the feature race, I was running second, um, uh, actually closing, closing on Thorson, who was leading at the time, and with two laps to go, I blew a belt. Oh, really? Oh. So see. I didn't finish. Now, you had, you so, got, yeah, a, you so. got, a, you got a number of seconds at Eagle River, haven't you? You, you, you. Yeah, I was like, you know, that was, that was my place, it seemed like, second <laughs> forever, you know. I ended up finishing second three times. Yeah. Uh, and I was in second a couple of times that I, you know, that something happened mechanically. Um, and of course... You know, and we're only about, you know, our, I mean, where I live is only about probably uh, two hours and 15 minutes from the racetrack. Yeah. So to me, that's like a home race, mm-hmm. you know, when you're used to going to New York and, you know, Beaujolais and Valcour and, you know, Owen Sound and all that for racing, you know, racing two hours from home is like a local race. So I had a tremendous amount of, you know, local customers and fans and friends that would go to Eagle River. So we always, you know, wanted to do well at Eagle River. So so that was by far the most important race for us every year. Yeah, there was not a... winning the, the darn thing. Just, you know, I don't know if it infuriated or drove me, but I, I it probably drove me more than anything. And getting second, 
um, I think was, you know, uh, you know, as Dick Trickle used to always say, you know, uh, 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 you know, kissing your sister just isn't the same. Yeah. There was a number of racers there, dozens uh, uh, that would probably call Eagle River home at that time, though. Um, because that was really oh, yeah. a hotbed of, uh, of snowmobile racing is, well, is that because, area. Well, let's face it, you know, the, the title world champion is what we all strive to get, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the series champion, it doesn't seem like anybody puts any emphasis on that. But the title world champion, you know, that's everything. You know, it's like winning the Indy 500, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, who the hell won the series? I don't know. Who won the Indy 500? Everybody knows that. Yep. Yeah. So Eagle River was the same, you know, the same way. So our sport of snowmobiling kind of, you know, kind of was locked into that. So... Yeah, so in the, uh, I think it was uh, 11 years that I competed at Eagle River in the World's Championship race, I made the final nine of those 11 years, which was a record in itself, which meant that I, I guess I was pretty competitive um, and had a, and, you know, had a, a pretty long uh, staying power in, in being there. Uh, and I finished second three times, I finished third once, I think I finished fourth once, fifth once. <laughs> Uh, finally ended up winning it, uh, the last year I was there, on uh, my ninth try, uh, and, uh, I crashed once, uh, blew a track once, and I think if you add all that up, I think that's nine races. Yeah. Okay, um, But I love that racetrack. It, yeah. It was, it's still, it's still in, uh, it's still the most challenging racetrack, the most fun, and it's the hardest one for sure, because both ends of the track are completely different. And so many people hate it, and I, that's part of what made me really love it. I just loved it from the first time I raced on it, you know. And I love the, I love the tight one and, you know, corner one and two is real tight. That's from the old one-third mile track yet before they yeah. extended to the half mile. And then, of course, turn three and four is the, the newer end of the track, and that's a broader, flatter corner. Yeah. So it's two different setups, you know. And, and, um, and it's always a longer race than every other race that we race on. So being in shape, uh, setting your equipment up to run good late in a the race, there's a lot of strategy involved in it. And, you know, now that, you know, when Decker's bought it and, and then recently, you know, started going to this silly uh, 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 pit stop type format, I, I, I have no love for the way it's run today. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. You know, you, 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 you all line up, you drop the green flag, 25 laps later, somebody wins, somebody loses, you know, and that's the way racing should be. In my opinion, anyhow, that's the way I like it. Um, we're not NASCAR racers. Uh, we're snowmobile racers. It's still a sprint race. It's crazy now because now NASCAR is doing that very same thing, and uh, and, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that pit, this pit stop thing. It just thing breaks and, it up, you know. Yeah, it does, like, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, sure. and, it, and part of the strategy, and that's one of the things I worked really hard on in my career, was to be stronger and to be in better shape i was probably one of the first drivers to really work on conditioning in that sport and it's because i i motocrossed race for 21 years i motocross motorcycle race for 21 years so that taught me how important conditioning was so i brought that over to snowmobile racing and i was so much uh better shape at the end of the race than some of the racers that you know when they go to this pit stop thing you take all that away yeah yeah you know, that was a strategy that, you know, you really can't 100% apply today. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, so, okay. So now we're, now we're, we're getting kind of into the era of, uh, tw- of twin tracks, um, in, in the early, it'd be the early nineties, right? Um, what do you, what do you think of that? What do you think of the twin trackers versus the, uh, the first independence? How did you, how did you like, uh, how, the, how did you transition? The twin tracker, uh, um, uh, sled was absolutely magical. Um, uh, there isn't a single racer 
that if they ever did have the opportunity to drive one and got to drive one that was set up well and worked well, that wouldn't say, wow, this is amazing, because that's how they drove. They drove amazing. It, I, I think, uh, to some degree, the Twin Tracker, a very old racer, could still compete and be competitive because uh, the sled drove so well, uh, and it wasn't nearly as physical on the driver as single trackers were. Um, now, to get them to work well, that was a trick, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I qualify that answer because now you've got a four-point stance and not a three-point stance, so now it's like a car. Yeah. Well, you know, guess who I got helping me with this? Dick Trickle. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think understands four points in a car better than probably almost anybody? Dick Trickle. So, yes, I had a remarkable advantage when the Twin Tracker era hit, you know. And, and we tried, you know, for about three, four years there to make a single track compete with them. And we could do it for a few laps, but we could never we could never do it for 25 laps. And, yeah. and, and you know, the writing was on the wall. And and uh, finally, you know, we had to join join forces with them. You know, we started building our vision sleds with our, all of our aerodynamics and stuff. And we got our single tracks to work really well. As a matter of fact, in 82... You know, which was, oh, I'm trying to think, is that uh, was probably the third year of the twin track, uh, second year of the twin track, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, we finished second in the world championship and kind of made a little technical error prior to it, but we should have won that race with a single track sled. So, yeah. I mean, we our stuff worked pretty good, but but I was working a heck of a lot harder than they were, I can tell you that. You yeah, you and, you and Dave Wall were probably the last kind of standouts for, for getting on twin tracks, weren't you? Yeah, and, and, and both of us were kind of bullheaded. Yeah, and both of us said we don't want to do what they're doing because we want to prove that you know our stuff works. Of course, he had a business, a vested business uh, interest in it because of you know everything they sold at their store, you know, at their business, at Wall Brothers Racing, and and my dad and Dick, uh, you know, thought that they, we could outsmart all those guys and we could build something through the. So our big avenue was with aerodynamics, and and that at yeah. that same time short track stock car racing really got into aerodynamics and dick learned a lot about it during those years and we applied that to snowmobile racing and it definitely made a world of difference yeah. you know it was to the point where we actually had a ground effect sled built in 82 and that's the sled we almost won the world's championship with and uh, they outlawed it like two weeks later now if i recall so, that was that was your vision sled right that was the very first vision, correct? Yeah. Now the the racers complained about the snow dust, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember. I think it was at Peterborough, and um, the, the other racers were complaining um, that that your sled was. I mean, I, I guess the ground effects really did work because it it caused all the snow dust behind you, and yeah. um, but but it, so it really did work good then, eh? Yeah, it was phenomenal the way it worked, and yeah, and uh, and you know. Uh, as most racers are, you know, it's easier to beat the guy off the track than on the track. So through their whining and crying and complaining, they convinced all the officials that this was dangerous, you know? Yeah. Like snowmobile racing is not dangerous? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's so, like, so, come so, on, boys. So explain, you know, explain how... Uh, but anyhow, in the end, they yeah. outlawed it, so, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's life. You know, you got to go along with it, you know? So explain what you, what you actually did do. Now, you had skirts, uh, so... Uh, for, for so the, for, basically yeah. what we did is we took the front of the sled and we sealed the front of the sled um, on the sides... And we left the front of it open. So if you know how ground effects works, basically ground effects takes and puts a negative pressure under the bottom of the, well, the, in cars is what it was designed for, but in the, the bottom of the sled. So we extended the tunnel out, so kind of made it a square box type yeah. of a thing. Yeah. And then we had 
rubber hinges on these skirts so that when you went over the bumps and went up and down the track, the skirts would drag on the track, but yet it would seal it. So then the air that went underneath the sled had negative pressure, so it sucked the sled down to the track. Yeah. So the sled wouldn't slide when you go through the corner. Yeah. Now, and uh, the radiator got pushed into the back because we sealed the front up because we didn't want any air going through the sled. We wanted it to go under the sled. And then we had a wing in the back that, you know, we, we, we tailored, you know, up and down, you know, bigger, smaller. We had, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, little side, side wings on that that went with it. And it was quite a, quite a deal. It was 100% Trickle's idea. Yeah. Uh, now, and, uh, did Tim Bender also had, did he, did he also not have one that year, uh, that he, late in the year Tim that he tried? tried something on a yeah. much lower schedule. Uh, he tried just downforce. Yeah. Uh, we tried ground effects. Yeah. So kind of two different complete, uh, you know, uh, uh, approaches to it. So Tim tried to do it with spoilers to push, to take the air and push down on the vehicle. Yeah. We tried to get air to go underneath it and suck it down. Yeah. And, and ours really, really worked. I mean, to the point where when I drove it the very first time, um, uh, matter of fact, it was at Eagle River because we kind of surprised everybody with it uh, that weekend. When I uh, drove it there, um, I said, to Dick, I said, God, I said, this thing is slow. He, he showed me the stopwatch. He said, you're not slow. He said, you're really fast. <laughs> said, the reason it feels slow is because you're not bouncing around. He exactly, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the sled is being sucked down to the track. So we actually had to gear the sled down because it pulled so hard. Yeah, yeah. And we ended up taking some of that off of it to, to get the speed back up. And and uh, uh, the very first version of that we used at Alexandria, and and we had beat the twin tracks. I had Brad in one heat. I had Jacques in another heat. Factory Skidoo twin tracks. Beat them both in our heats. And in the semi, uh, in, this still remains a mystery, so I, I don't have an exact answer, but uh, ended up going into turn three late in the race, and, and Jacques dive-bombed me and, and, and pointed it down onto the bottom of the track and drove right into the side of me, and both of us flew off the track and wrecked both of our sleds completely. Oh. And uh, he claims that the... Uh, outer uh lower um um uh, transfer bar you know bent yeah you know uh and it may have but i think he just drove into the corner wide open and either the sled didn't stick or or the you know or the lower uh, radius rod bent one of the two but anyhow he flew right up into me and crashed us both and blah 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 so we knew the thing really worked well and then we added the rear spoiler and and moved the, the uh, radiator from the front to the back and, you know, really made it work for Eagle River. And we had won everything at Eagle River by a minimum of a straightaway on that, on that weekend. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I won, I, I, uh, uh, I won the semifinal and lapped up to third place in the semi. Yeah. That, you know, and, and, uh, uh, we ended up making kind of a screw up, uh, on the sled for the feature race and ended up getting second. But regardless, um, it really worked and, you know, and it worked so well, like you said, two weeks later it was gone, you know, they outlawed it. So whatever happened to that sled? Do you ever know where where it went? Uh, All those parts got thrown in, you know, they're still sitting in a corner someplace here and the sled itself, we stripped and, uh, we carved it up and I made a drag sled for my brother after we got done racing uh, because my younger brother always helped me and never got a dime for it or, and I said, you know, all you've done is work your whole life helping me race, and you, you never get any any um, limelight for it. You never get any credit for it. I said, you're going to be the driver now. I'll be the mechanic. Yeah. So we took this sled and 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 made a drag sled for him, and 
we did that for a couple winters just around here. Dragging, dragging uh, was a really popular thing here at that time, and uh, and he won a lot of races. And uh, he said at the end of the second year, he said, "I don't like doing this." I said, "What don't you like about it?" He says, "Ah, he said there's too much pressure on me." I said, "What do you mean pressure?" I said, "All you got to do is line up, hit the throttle, and go. You go straight. It can't be that hard." And he said. No, he said, everybody expects me to win. They expect me to be like you, and I don't like that. He said, I said, okay, if you don't want to do it, we won't do it. So yeah. we've never done it again. Yeah. Now, the, the, the re- one of the reasons why you call, you, you, uh, you call it a vision sled and whatever is, is uh, that, that year you also, um, did you not have a, a deal with Yamaha? Uh, you, you, started, yeah. you, started, yeah. you started racing. Your, uh, memory is, your memory is phenomenal. Well, yeah, I, I, so. you're, you're, I mean, as, as you know, um, your, your, your career kind of paralleled my brother's and, and mine. So I, oh, yeah. I mean that, that's that's why I was aware. I mean you you um, you started racing uh, Formula Three. That was the one of the first years that Formula Three right. um, came out. So what, and, yeah. So yeah. So what really what happened there, uh, Gord, is that uh, Snowcross came to be. Okay, that yeah. was the era of the beginning of Snowcross. And of course, I was I was um, you know motorcycle motocrossing at that time. You know, for a couple of years already, and had done pretty fair at that. I ran some pro races and all that with motocross. So. The uh, uh, Yamaha said, hey, you know, the snowcross thing, and we think you'd be really good at it. And, and my dad, you know, he just loved the idea I'd be racing a Yamaha again. Yeah, yeah. And so we jumped on that. Yamaha paid us pretty good money. You know, they had us and Bender uh, on their team, and uh, and I think a lot of other, like, satellite riders they had, you know, at the time. Yep. And uh, so we did that, and I said, but I said, the only way I would do it is I said, I still want to try and win Eagle River. I don't want to give up my Formula One thing. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, we can't have you racing a Skidoo under contract with Yamaha. That's not going to work. So my dad, uh, no, it was Dick. Dick came up with the idea. He says, well, how about, he says, we don't call it a Skidoo. We'll use some kind of Yamaha influence in it, um, and we'll register it just as our own sled uh, with our own name. Yeah. And we won't have Skidoo attached to it, and we'll wear our Yamaha leathers and all that with it when we race it uh and yamaha bought it yeah good. so the yeah. name vision was the name of a yamaha motorcycle that came out that year yeah and that was a kind of a cool wild looking bike in its day and and it was so fitting that that name would be on this wild cool looking snowmobile that we built with all the ground effects right yeah yeah so that's how the the term vision or the name vision came to be so it was a little bit of a deal we made with yamaha so i could race my skidoo and not call it a skidoo and at the same time I could still try to win the world's championship, and I could still, you know, accomplish Yamaha's goals of snow crossing, and and we were very successful snow cross racing. Yeah, well, let me let me inter- interrupt you there. Now, I think, like I told you, I don't think you get the credit uh, that you deserve for uh, for your snow cross uh, 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 talents because snow cross had just started, um, and um, you you uh, actually you and Bender really really dominated. Um, the first two years, uh, that would be, uh, what, 80, uh, well, 83 was kind of slow, but 84, yeah, 80, 84, 84, 84 and 80, yeah. Um, and 85. Yeah, and 85, uh, because the SRVs were first, and I had yep. the Bender SRVs, and then the Bender um, phasers came out, and, and you and Tim basically dominated uh, um, yeah. U.S. and Canada uh, on, on those yeah. sleds. And um, um, I, I remember, uh, you, do you remember um, Hill City, uh, Kwanda used to be the first race. Remember that? Yep, I remember it well. Yep. Okay, well, do you, <laughs> you, you, this might be a little bit embarrassing here, but there's a little bit of a bathroom talk, and you, you tell me if you, re, if you recall this, but uh, uh, we were in the bathroom together, 
And um, um, recent this sounds re- like it's going to be interesting. Okay? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, talk about this, uh, yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're you're get a good laugh out of it because uh, we we all did. But um, okay, uh, you you came in and uh, recent so round in the bathroom. You and yeah, I and a bunch yeah, of guys. yeah, a bunch of guys. Yeah, and my brother and uh, <laughs> you know at, at Hill City and. Um, and uh, um, Race and Rally came out, and um, they called my brother the Tom Selleck of snowmobiling. Do you recall that? Do you remember that? Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Well, you came. You came I into the. He you was ca- kind of a good-looking guy with dark yeah, hair and all yeah, that. Yeah, mustache and, and yeah, 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 yeah. And, and uh, like model-like looks to him and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you, you came in, uh, and just right out of the right as soon as you walked in the door, you said, "Hey, there's the Tom Selleck of snowmobiling." <laughs> So we all got we all got a big laugh out of that. Uh, oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> that's you though, that's eh? That's. <laughs> but uh, uh, what, did your bro- what did your brother? Oh, he had a laugh. Oh, 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 yeah. Well, uh, he, uh, you know, a little bit embarrassed because I mean uh, that the, the article kind of gave him that gave him that that uh, that headline, and uh, and then you came in and because the the issue had just come out. And, oh, okay, uh, so, so that's why it was fresh on my mind. Yeah, it was fresh on everybody's mind, I think. So, uh, but that was yeah. that was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, so yeah, you, very. what a what a connection, huh? <laughs> yeah. So you and you and Bender ended up dominating those first couple races on those uh, on those SRVs, and uh, I mean, and uh, and then the year later, the uh, the uh, the phasers. So uh, yeah. uh, you don't get a lot of credit for your for your snowcross talents uh, that uh, that a lot of people don't know. Um, they know you as the oval racer, but um, they should check out some uh, some YouTube videos and stuff. And uh, there are some good videos on there of, of you racing um, racing snowcross. So, but, yeah, um, I can honestly tell you, my winning percentage in snowcross was far higher than my oval racing uh, winning percentage. I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah, we uh, and you're absolutely correct. Tim and I dominated, uh, and and that's not an overstatement either. I mean. Uh, Every time we went to the race, uh, if Tim and I were there, because, you know, he was supposed to be more of an, an eastern racer, and I was more supposed to be in the central part of the, you know, because back in those days, there were so many races that, you know, you know, the USSA was divided into, you know, western, central, and eastern, so there was races going on over the country at the same time. And yeah, yeah. So when we got together, it was always, you know, who's going to win, you know, uh, Bender or Donahue, you know. And, uh, and, and I made it a point... Uh, to uh, always try to beat, you know, I, I put a lot of emphasis in beating Tim. Uh, yeah. Even though he was my teammate uh, and we were very good friends, um, Trickle always told me, you need to beat your teammate first. Yeah. And I said, well, why do I want to beat my teammate first? He said, so because all week in the shop, then you got bragging rights, he said. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, and I think that I th- was so. I thought that was so funny. I said, well, how about all the other guys? Well, he said, if your teammate's really good and you beat him, you probably did beat everybody else, he said. So he yeah. said, set that as your goal. So I, I kind of took a different attitude when I had a teammate after that because I always kind of thought, well, he's my teammate. I'll be a little easy on him, you know. Yeah. And and Dick was the opposite. No, you got to be harder on him because you want to beat him because you want to have bragging rates in the shop all week when you're sitting there working with one another, you know. Absolutely, yeah. So anyhow, yeah, so we won a lot of races. And the uh, the uh, uh, in eighty. Four in '85, I won the pro stock and pro ovals, no pro uh, snow cross points totals, both years and both pro classes. Yeah. Uh, in '84, I won both pro classes at Eagle River, pro stock and pro open. And in '85, in snow cross, I got second. Oh, how did it go? I got beat. Uh, Oh no! I got second in pro stock. 
uh, and in pro open, I was leading and, uh, I had a, a jack shaft, uh, failure. Yeah. Um, but you know, the only, uh, and then that also that year in 85, I won the Minnesota governor's cup, uh, which Cross I country was the race. first, yeah. uh, yep. I was the first, uh, more of a lake race. Yep. Um, and I was the first non cross country guy to ever have won that race. Mm-hmm. And they made, uh, uh, the, the, um, um, uh, snow week guys made a pretty big deal of that. They didn't think an oval racer, uh, was tough enough, uh, to beat all those Minnesota guys on their turf. And, uh, I am proud to say I beat every damn one of them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, now, I'm going to tell you, there's a story of getting there, though. So I went over there about, um, I tried to sneak over, because they ran Saturdays sometimes over there. I could race there on Saturday and then come back to Wisconsin or wherever and race a Sunday race, right? So I would go over there Saturday, and the first two weeks I went over there, it was kind of like the start of my career in oval snowmobile racing. They crashed me in the first turn. Mm-hmm. I always got great starts because I was very good at clutching and, you know, compared to most snowcross racers at the time were more rough and tough type cross country racers and the technical setup really wasn't their thing. Uh, yet, uh, was, were oval racers, you know, we were very technical already. And, uh, so I'd get great starts, but they would just plow into the side and knock you over. I yeah. mean, and they weren't even nice about it and, and they weren't even shy about it. Uh, you know, and they'd flip you over and wreck you, you know, and that was it. That's as far as you made it. Mm-hmm. So two weeks in a row that happened to me, and you know not only does it do you not do well, um, but it kind of beats you up. You get a little sore after a while, bouncing off the ice, you know. So by the third third time or so, I went over there. I, I got the hang of it more and, and realized, you know, these guys play for real. They uh, they they rock them and sock them. So when it went uh, when I won that Minnesota Governor's Cup that year, uh, I was really really pleased uh, and proud of that. I still am today. I, I think I'm still the only oval racer that's ever done that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, it's, it's also um, quite quite um, odd that um, you're a tall guy, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I remember you almost had to bend yourself uh, when you when you were when you were racing that phaser. Uh, oh, <laughs> pretty, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, yeah. You were very tall. Probably, and, yeah. yeah, I was six at the time. I was like six two and a half. Yeah. And most of them racers are like, you know, guys 5'8", yeah, 5'10", yeah. maybe. A tall guy was 5'10", and here I am 6'2 and a half, you know, and, and all. But, um, oh, yeah, it, it was really, really interesting. But by racing motocross motorcycles, by racing snowcross and, and racing snowcross and against those Minnesota guys, uh, it made me a much more aggressive oval racer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and if you look at my success after those... Uh, snowcross years on the oval became very very good yeah. i mean that's really really the last three years i raced oval snowmobile racing is by far my three best years that's because i became aggressive not dirty but aggressive yeah because you, know, you, you went you went through the oval phase and then you went into the snowcross phase and now you're going back to the to the uh oval. to, to yeah, the oval that. again well because and, i had i still had one eagle river yeah okay so, t- my, so talk about that yeah my reason to go snowmobile racing was to win the world championship and i still haven't done it i won I won a lot of damn snowcross races, but I and I won snowcross races at Eagle River, and I ended up winning the Formula Three Worlds Championship at Eagle River, the very first time they ran it. But I still haven't won the what I consider the Worlds Championship, which yeah. is the Worlds Championship final race. You know, so uh, in 1985, um, 
I won the Formula 3, you know, the very first inaugural World's Championship at Eagle River. And um, I didn't make the final for the Formula 1 World's Championship. And I'm sitting there watching this race, right? This uh, 25-lap feature race. And I said, you know what? This is never happening again. And standing on that bank um, watching, uh, I think Michelle Gingras won won it that year Uh with the twin tracks, I said, you know, this isn't what I came here for. I came here to win this race. Even though I should have been happy with winning all the other races I won that day, I wasn't. Uh, And I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this thing with Yamaha anymore. I'm not doing all this snowcross. I'm not doing Formula 3. I'm going to win the World's Championship. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to figure it out. And so the in 86, um, I couldn't get a sled from Skidoo. They didn't have any twin trackers that were available to buy. I, I tried buying one out on the street. I couldn't get any. Uh, and I knew I needed one to win. Uh, so I ended up racing for Ted Nielsen yeah. out of Illinois. I, he had a twin tracker that they had bought and uh, never raced it. Dimmerman was his driver at the time, and they took that Rotax engine out of that uh, twin track and put in his... Uh, Articat and you know actually won the world championship back in '84 with that combination and and Jim said I'll never drive that twin track because it's a skidoo and I said great I'll drive it <laughs> and uh, uh, you know bought a new motor for it and I raced it and that first year we ran really well with it, it was the first time I ever ran a, a twin track and I thought man this is easy I can't believe I've waited this long to ride one of these things yeah yeah and uh, instantly took to it you know just like a duck to water and got second in the world championship the first year. Raced Jacques really hard. He only beat me by a little bit. I, I actually, uh, late in the race, like in 20-some laps into it, I actually caught him, um, but I just didn't quite have enough to get by him. And that was in 86. And then in 87, I returned with uh, Ted Nielsen again. And uh, um, we tried some different stuff there. And um, um, I don't remember. Something happened in one of the qualifying races. I had to run the last chance race, and I won that. And then uh, early in the feature race, we were running second, and a uh, track uh, derailed. Which is common so, back then, yeah. Yeah, very common with those things back then. They had a problem that you know people didn't hadn't figured it out yet how to how to cure it, and that was '87. Uh, and then in '88, um, I said, uh, you know, this isn't working to the degree I want it to work. I, I much rather. I like being at home with my dad and Dick and building my own stuff and calling my own shots and sleeping in my own bed at night and in the little old Wisconsin Rapids and, you know, not that anything's wrong with Illinois, but it just wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And I actually ended up finding a used 1985 twin tracker I bought from a guy out in Colorado of all places. And on Labor Day weekend, my buddies and I drove out to Colorado and picked this thing up in the back <laughs> and threw it in the back of my van and drove back. Yeah, and uh, we started working on it, and uh, we had a year that uh, still to this day gives me goosebumps talking about. We kicked ass, is all I can say. Yeah, it was an unbelievable year, was... and not not just because we won the world's championship, and not just because we won the series. We were fast every race we were at. We were the guy to beat. Yeah, you know, I was finally that guy. It took me my whole career, but I finally became that guy. Yeah, one thing I, re- I recall about uh, yeah, your 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 Nelson years too is uh, uh, when you guys stepped out of the truck that first year, you had a, a custom hauler and you had you all had uh, these great uniforms, nice and clean white uniforms, and uh, oh. yeah, 
<laughs> I'm not so sure we were the fastest team back in '86. You look good. You look you, 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 and uh, and then that year that you won, Tom uh, Selleck would have been proud. I'll tell yeah. you that for sure. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, uh, for sure. And then the, the year that you went, the, the year that you won it, you uh, you got the Pepsi sponsorship. But that was I was with Pepsi. Yep, yeah, I got. Uh, that yeah, was that was, was very new. Some some customers of my dad owned uh, a number of uh, regional. Uh, they were obviously pretty well off guys. They owned uh, they owned uh, a, a number of Pepsi uh, uh, bottling plants, yeah. and then through them they got the uh, uh, regional um, uh, Pepsi um, distributor out of Chicago to sponsor us. So we 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 brought Pepsi into the sport of snowmobile racing. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, and we marketed it well, and it, it was a it was a very fresh look too. You know, it, we didn't have near the money. Uh, to spend on the apparel and all that that Nielsen his team had, but ours we look professional for yeah, sure. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so that race that you uh, so you won the World Championships. That's the legendary uh, red flag race. So, uh, talk about what happened during that race. Well, so uh, let's back up a little bit. So, from 1964 to. Um, through 1987, so 24 years in a row, that flag, that race had gone flag to flag. Yeah. Only one time did it restart, and that was in 1969. There was a restart, but it was re- a, re- a fresh restart from lap one. Mm-hmm. So that race has gone, you know, green flag to checkered flag every year for 24 years, right? Yeah. So we know that. We studied that. You know, Dick and I did, and my dad, and we set up to run really good the second half of the race. And everybody usually falls off quite a bit as far as performance. You know, the, that little 340 Rotax motor gets hot and loses power, and studs and carbides get dull, and, you know, belts get hot, and arms, don't arms get sore, and all that. And, <laughs> you know, all those things that, you know, real snowmobile racers know, all that happens. And, and, and I said, I'll sacrifice the first half of the race, but I want to be the fastest guy the last 10 laps. Yeah. So... That's how we set up, right? And why wouldn't you? 24 years in a row, it's been this way. So we get into the race, and, you know, I was fast. You know, I won my heat and, and won the semi again, dominated uh, dominated there in those heat races and semis. And we get into the final, and I'm clutched really light, so it comes off the hole, and I'm, I'm like, like 10th out of 12 guys or something. Going, or no, there was 15 guys, excuse me. They had five guys in the back row that year. Um, so I was last of the guys in the front row going into the first turn. And I knew I was going to be kind of behind, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't upset because I knew we were going to be fast later in the race. So we go three laps or four laps, I forget what it is, and Darcy Ewing crashes into the wall. <laughs> so I'm just getting going, you know. I'm just thinking, I'm just starting to pass guys, and now we got to restart. So we do, and that's not a big deal because you're only three or four laps into a 25-lap race. Well, what was kind of catchy about that is – is I was passing people on the top side. I, I like to ride high always, and, and, and I didn't like to ride down in the holes, especially early in the race if I didn't have to because it would tend to wear you out a little more and a little harder on your sled. So I was actually right behind Darcy, and I came up on him, and I was going to go outside of him going into one, and it was a little tight. There wasn't quite enough room, and it was early in the race, so I let off, and sure shit, he hit a hole and flew right into the wall. Yeah, yeah. And had I stuck myself in there, I would have got crashed, and probably still to this day wouldn't be a world champion, you know? Yeah. And uh, so they restarted, and I'm, I think, up to about fifth or something at this point. So I worked my way from tenth to fifth, like, in three laps. 
So they restart it, and I get into second, like after a lap or two, and it takes me till like lap ten or eleven to catch uh, Ellen Decker, and I pass him. So I'm stretching it out. I probably got at least a half a straightaway lead, and on lap seventeen, uh, a rookie. Uh, I don't remember what his name was. Ludwig. It's a Ludwig, but it wasn't Jeff. It was his brother. Uh-huh. Uh, spins out. He looks going down the front of straightaway because uh, he had gotten a blue flag to move over and turned over his shoulder and looked and saw me coming. And I don't know what the hell he did. He spun right out and turned one. Uh-huh. Right in front of me. I mean, I'm like, like you know, a sled length behind him, and this thing is going sideways in front of me. And somehow, I, you know, through the grace of God, I went around him and cleared it. Well, of course, you know, that's red flag number two. Yep. So we go to line up, and, um, uh, you know, we, we take back off. And, you know, some people claim that, um, that I was given an advantage on that restart, the last restart. Some people don't. I don't know if you ever heard this. I, I know where you're going here because uh, you you had a you had a good gap um, between. Yeah, I between had a, like I had like maybe a straightaway lead or something at the at the when they did the red flag. Well, when they yeah. restarted the race, they didn't give you that <laughs> at yeah, all. Well, obviously, and, I didn't get a straightaway lead, but yeah. they normally run you pretty close to one another. And I had like maybe two sleds between me and Alan Decker. Yep. And then that's kind of he spaced them out a little bit more than normal. Well, after the race, everybody whined about it. But anyhow, so. Um, and so there's only like seven or eight laps to go in the race. Well, keep in mind what I said earlier. I set my sled up to run good hot, to mm-hmm. run good late in the race. Well, seven or eight laps isn't very long. You know, I, it's set up for 25. So now I'm starting from a dead cold motor, dead cold clutches and everything. Yep. And guess what? It's slower than a pig again, yep. you know, because nothing's warmed up. And Alan's literally pushing me around the racetrack, you know, and, uh, I think it was like two laps or something into this thing. He comes right up on the outside of me, whistles right past me going on the back straightaway. And uh, I said to myself, damn, no way, not today, <laughs> Alan. I don't care who you are. I said, I'll wreck this thing, but I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to finish second again. I am so sick and tired of finishing second in this world championship race. This is my race, and nobody's going to take it from me. I drove it into three and never let off. Yeah. I went into turn three pinned, and it, that twin track went around that corner like it was nobody's business, and I probably pulled two sled lengths, uh, two sled lengths or so from Allen, and I thought, holy shit, I never knew you could do that. And uh, and, and he kind of caught me again the next lap going on the back straightaway, and I did the same thing, and after a couple laps of that, I got away from Allen, and I won the race, and you know the rest is history. So, um, But um, because of determination... You know, Alan had the line. Alan had me passed. You know, it could have easily been his race. But mm-hmm. um, the determination, stubbornness, whatever you want to call it, I said, I'm, I'm going to either wreck this thing or I'm going to win it. And mm-hmm. luckily uh, it turned when I asked it to turn. And so I learned that uh, with the right line and the right entrance and all that into turn three to go river on a twin tracker, uh, you can run in there deep, wide open, and never let off. Yeah. Experiment. It worked. <laughs> it worked, yeah. Yeah, and it worked. It, it could have gone two ways. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you know, the old term, wreckers or checkers. Yeah. yeah. And thank God it was checkers and not wreckers, you know. Yeah. So so I, I guess uh, that, that was kind of the eclipse of your career, and uh, everybody yeah, was happy. Your dad. Yeah, that was the last dad. year I raced. Yeah. Um, we, we ended up winning the point series, 
And again, you know, Canadians had won it every year prior to that, so that was kind of cool. We we're the first American to win that. Uh, they had a team series back then too, yep. and the Americans uh, beat the Canadians in the team thing. Um, and uh, you know, we won a lot of races that year, and you know, won more than half of them. I know that, and um, we just really had a great year, you know. And the guys that were on my team, um, uh, a couple of them were, had gotten married, and, and they wanted to have kids and stuff, and you know, and they were telling me, you know, that you know that year even that you know we're probably not going to be able to help you next year, or you know, or maybe help you at night at the shop, but I can't go to the races with you and that, and you know, I've been doing this for what, 12 years or something now? And I just thought to myself, you know, um, I don't want to start with a whole other group of guys and having to teach them all this stuff from the ground up. And I'm 30 years old, and uh, I finally accomplished every goal that I set in my life of snowmobile racing, you know. The hell with it. Let's hang it up. Yeah. What a good, good. way to walk. Let's walk away as a champion with our heads high. Sure, yeah. So you, that's what we did. You went on, you went on to uh, be commentator uh, for the uh, uh, Skidoo Sports Series for... A couple of years though, didn't you? After that, yeah, four yeah. years I did that. Yeah. yeah, so I was the yeah I was the uh, Bobby Unser uh, um, they had doing the telecast always. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, and then when the sports series came to be, which is what I was part of, that was this, that's what the series was called uh, when I ran in it. Um, uh, that was with Paul Page. Uh, they hired that, me then to be a commentator, and I did that, and I loved that. That was a yeah. fun gig, man. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a guy that's shy with words, and and I knew all them racers, uh, the racers well, and I, of course, uh, I was still fresh enough that you know I understood all the strategy, and and I think the telecast came off really well because of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem with it, was... it is it was extremely time consuming. Yeah. And uh, at at the end of those, at the, by the fourth year, I was already back here uh, and had you know were buying the business with my brothers and things and. It was taking me away from this business too much, and that wasn't going over too good with my brothers and my dad, you know, um, being gone that much. Because I made a commitment to them that I would be here to run this place. And I don't know, Paul Page wasn't very happy with me when I told him I wasn't going to do the sports series anymore with them, and because he had worked pretty hard to get me in there and teach me all the ropes of it. But I yeah. really love that. That was unquestionably the best job I've ever had in my life. Yeah, and it it kind of. Uh kind of went away after that too that that series yeah, kind of broke up it, and it, yeah yeah the telecast went away too shortly i think it yeah. only had another year of it and then it was done yeah yeah, yeah. so well that's great uh that's that's quite the re- recall you of there of your of your, uh, of your career that's great um oh, we didn't touch on on the kawasaki tournament of champions uh y- y- you also won that oh yeah i did a little uh, win in there too no didn't i yeah what did you think of that did you enjoy that oh that was a blast yeah you know you know uh i love the race I don't care what it is, you know. I'd, I'd race tricycles if I could uh, get on one and still pedal it, okay? Yeah. I mean, uh, and and the Kawasaki <laughs> thing was a, a great deal because you got paid a lot of money and you didn't have to do any work but drive. Yeah, you just you know? got on the sled, yeah. And it was uh, completely opposite of what my career was. My career was, you know, you know, uh, build it, try it, test it, and race it. This was just jump on and race it. So how much easier could it get? And you know, the concept, of course, was, you know, much like the International Race of Champions uh, in the stock car racing and that is, it's, yep. you know, we're going to prove once and for all who's the best driver out there. Not who's got the best equipment, not who's the best at setup, who's the best driver, you know. And and uh, I was fortunate that I did really well in it, you know. And, and having raced those Leaf Spring snowmobiles early on in my career, uh, I was very, you know, very comfortable with driving those, you know, so to speak, trail sleds on a racetrack. You yeah, know? yeah. 
and uh, yeah, I, I did very well in that. I, I, I uh, the first year they had it, it was one single race uh, in Owatonna, Minnesota, and I won. Uh, it was uh, actually one single uh, event, but it was three different heat races, and I don't remember my places, but anyhow, I won it. Uh, and then the next year, they expanded it to two races. Um, I think it was Alexandria, Minnesota, yep. and Portland, Maine. And I won both of those events, um, and so I won. I won the title the second year they had it, and then the third year they had like three or four races in the U.S. with the final uh, over in Robinimi, Finland. <laughs> and um, I got hurt uh, oval racing, and actually uh, uh, had about twenty-five stitches in my butt. Uh, I got <laughs> cut by a track. Um, I got hit by a guy and flipped, and uh, his track, I landed on his track somehow, and it went right through my leathers and right into my butt. And I had a really hard time uh, driving those trail sleds, you know, because you had to lean so much on them compared to an oval sled. And yeah. So I didn't do real well, but I did good enough that um, um, I qualified to go over to Romanimi for the final. And in uh, Rovaniemi, they had six races, and I won five. I got five wins in one second. Yeah, and yeah. I won that series uh, over there. So, and then for the entire five races, the four here plus the one over there, I got second in that in that in points. Mm-hmm. But the big money was winning in Rovaniemi, and that was pretty cool. That was like ten grand, I think, just to win that race. Yeah, there was there. big money in that in that series. Yeah, yeah huge money. That's all yeah. I remember. It was a lot of money, and you <laughs> didn't have to do any work. You know? Yeah. I thought, wow, this is great. You yeah. Know? And. Uh, yeah, I I uh, uh, became really good uh, friends with all those guys from Kawasaki, and uh, they actually hired me after I won that Rovaniemi event uh, to help them develop their trail sleds. Mm-hmm. So they were located in Shakopee, Minnesota. That's where their R&D facility was, and they said, we want to hire you to do this snowgoer shootout event. And I said, well, you know, what do you want me to do? Well, we're developing this new, I think it was all called an in in invader oh man, invader it was invader? a 550 that's all i know Exter- Exter- exterminator intruder um intruder invader not intruder not invader something else oh boy we're gonna get we're gonna, we're gonna get slammed for this by all the listeners now you know that eh? i know and i, I apologize <laughs> to all the they had an ltd they, they had an ltd they had an ltd too was, all i know was a 550 yeah yeah uh, and everybody had ifs sleds already and kawasaki still had a leaf spring sled and they said we need to hire you to get the sled to go and win this shootout uh, with Snowgoer. And it's a combination of a, uh, you get points for eighth mile and quarter mile drag race. You get points for the snow cross. And then overall we need to win that because if we don't win this, we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to you know, drop out of the snowmobile business. Oh, a lot of pressure there. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> and I said, well, okay. And they paid me a large sum of money to do it. Um, and I went there and I worked with those guys and, and I rode every day and I helped them, you know, develop that, that, uh, 550 sled. And, uh, um, we ended up, uh, winning the, I said, we can't, we're not going to beat a 600 triple Indy with a 550 twin in a quarter mile. So let's, uh, let's strategize. How can we win this thing? You know? I, I, I said, I, I know clutching-wise and all that and, and traction-wise, I can win the eighth mile, or I'm pretty confident we can win that. And I said, uh, we'll try and do the least amount of damage possible uh, to get our best finish in the quarter mile. 
And then I said in the snow cross, I said, man, you guys are asking a lot out of me to take a leaf <laughs> spring sled to beat all these IFS sleds. You know, Skidoo had their, uh, they had uh, Gerard Carpick driving yeah. their Blizzard. Um, Doug Lamb drove the Polaris Indy 600. Uh, Bender was driving the Yamaha VMAX. Um, and I think it was me on that Kawasaki. I think those were the four entries, if I remember right. Maybe John Deere might have had something in there, too. I don't remember. Yeah, I think they did. I think they had Stan Hayes driving a John Deere. Uh-huh. Okay, so uh, so we we go there and we build this sled and you know and and of course it's uh, every little trick I can think of on it I did. So sure enough, we get there and I win the eighth mile. We get third and a half mile out of five, which isn't bad. I mean, you gotta you know look at what we got here, you yeah. know. And uh, in the snowcross, uh, I had to win the snowcross in order to to win it overall, and I finished second. Lamb beat me on that Polaris, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and I finished second on that. Uh, actually broke a bone in my hand uh, racing in the snowcross, but um, I didn't realize that until days later. Um, and uh, the guy, uh, his name, last name was Kelly, Mark Kelly, I think it was, from Kawasaki after the thing, says, uh, I appreciate everything you did, Bobby. He said, but we're all out of a job come next week. Oh yeah, and the Kawasaki. And I thought he was up. joking. Yeah. And I got a call um like on Thursday of the next week and he said the snowmobile snowmobile division has now been closed up. We know you know, Kawasaki is pulling out of the snowmobile business. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So I, I I always feel a, a little deep regret inside my soul that, you know, I'm responsible for Kawasaki <laughs> coming out of the snowmobile business, you know. And that's a little bit of the stretch of the of the imagination, of course, but but I did my damnedest to try and win it for him. So Yeah. Yeah. What if though? No way. Do you think? Do What's you that? think? What if though? If if had you won, yeah, you know, that, that, that would have been bet, a. Uh, and I'll bet nobody knows that story I just told yep, because I've yep. never told that to anybody in the world till today. Mm-hmm. So, so they don't quite know, you know, they don't quite understand at corporations how important sometimes things can be, you know, and and what lengths they'll go to to try and you know maintain you know maintain themselves. But you know that was at a time when the snowmobile industry was was you know lagging. Yep. And these manufacturers... They were all dropping out, um, yeah. Yeah. The really cool part that I won't say a whole lot about is Kawasaki had all these IFS sleds already made Mm -hmm. that they were going to bring out the next year, the year after that. Really? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And and I actually, that probably would have been my career. You know, I probably would have uh, stayed with them and helped develop those sleds, you know, but of course it didn't happen, so, Yeah. Because Kawasaki had lots of money back then. I mean, they were one oh, of the man. motorcycle. Oh, yeah, man, they paid and, yeah. me handsomely, I'll tell you that. You know, I, I was fortunate. I, I seemed to, from a business standpoint, I always seemed to kind of have that little golden tooth, you know. I just seemed to fall in the right spot at the right time, you know. Mm-hmm. And and my racing uh, successes is always kind of what opened that door every time for me. Yep, yep. Well, so I've had a great career in snowmobiling, and the best part of it, I you know, I'm still involved in it today yet. I've helped some young racers, uh, snowcross racers over the time, and, and I'm still involved with some oval racers today. And one of my oval racers, Cardell Potter, you know, we won the World Championship together back in 2015. So that was a really cool thing, and, and he's yeah. still one of the, you know, one of the top drivers on the circuit, and one of the guys to beat every week. So it's still, uh, you know, snowmobile racing and snowmobiling is still a big part of my life. I, uh, I trail ride a, a ton yet. I, I just love it. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't take the snowmobile out of a guy, you know. 
what are you liking this these these years though? Uh, what what do you what what, uh, what what are you liking for a trail, trail sled? sled? You got Yamaha well, we and Yatskadu. What do you what do you what do you yeah, like? I'm say we sell them both. You know, <laughs> now, unfortunately, I got to be a businessman here yep. for a minute. Okay, and, and say both. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love them both. Okay, yeah. let me qualify my answer by by starting with that statement. You know, I ride. A, I got an MXZX, you know, 850 E-Tech as a trail sled, and I got a Sidewinder, uh, you know, Spring Edition LE model, uh, yep. also as a as a as a demo. You know, I drive them both. Yeah, uh, they both have different personalities. They both do different things. Uh, and they're both fantastic sleds. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I prefer the Skidoo if I'm if I'm on tight trails and whoopee type trails and stuff that demands a lighter, quicker, spunkier, lighter feeling sled. You know, I still at my age, I'm 60 years old now. I still love going fast. I still love flying through the air. I I, I uh, probably am not in condition I was when I was 30, but I still love going just as fast as I did back then. Yep. And the Sidewinder, you know, really fuels that, that top speed, you know, uh, thing that everybody seems to need once in a while. I mean, the top end numbers on that sled are phenomenal. Oh, yeah. The uh, solidness of how that sled feels at, you know, at, a, at 120 miles an hour is second to none. It's got a very planted feel. The ride on that sled is good. The ergonomics on it are phenomenal. Uh, it's a very quality built piece of sled. Uh, and uh, so I ride them both. I, in, in the end, I put more miles on the Skidoo because that just seems to be the more I do more riding of that style. But you know, when it's time that I know I've got some friends coming with other brands, I got to for sure beat them on top end. <laughs> There's no doubt we pull out the Yamaha. That's yeah, because that's the one that ends it. So. <laughs> that's and, great, and, and it's fun. I mean, it's a yeah. blast to have them both. And 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 I have a lot of customers that have ridden. You know either one or both of those sleds because and i take them on the trail ride you know uh, for that reason it isn't just for me to enjoy i want everybody else to see what they're like too and and to be honest with you i sell a lot of snowmobiles because of that yeah yeah you, you, you sell a lot of utvs too i was seeing on your social media you uh you sell a oh, lot of utvs God. and atvs i mean you're it's your 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 post almost every other day you're uh you're pumping yeah, out a couple I more say, i think there's <laughs> i think there's three of three of them going home today again yeah it's, yeah there's very seldomly a day that at least one ATV or one side by side doesn't leave this place, or UTV as most people call them. Yeah, know? that's great. That's good. Good. Yeah, business our business has really grown. It's become very, very big, and and I'm very, very proud of uh, of uh, the staff that we have, our employees, and the work and the effort they put and the care they put into taking care of our customers. And we, uh, you know, I, I attack my business the same way I did I did when I raced. You know, I I don't like finishing second. Yeah. You know, and when I do, all I do is uh, work harder. Okay. And I've uh, I've become. Uh, kind of a workaholic in my older years but and i love my business and i love my customers and and i ride with them all i've i've, I've you know i i put uh over two thousand miles on this year uh, snowmobiling and, and i it seems like every weekend i'm with somebody different you know yeah, great awesome. and uh and they love I, I think anyhow i think they love riding with me because i seem to have no shortage of people that want to ride with me so yeah yeah okay so let's let's wrap it up let's let's t- talk about uh okay so your business is uh donahue uh super sports and uh yep. how about some contact information so uh, uh the easiest way to find us is always online and just go to donahue um my personal email if you ever want to send me anything personally it's my name b-o-b-b-y dot donahue d-o-n-a-h-u-e at donahue com. And Donahue Super Sports has an S at the end of it, and uh, we're uh, we're you know we've we've got YouTube videos all over. We uh, we we do all kinds of things uh, uh, social media wise, you know, through Facebook and Twitter and other things that my guys are on it all the time. Mm-hmm. And like you say, uh, 
customers that are constantly buying machines from us. Uh, we always do a quick post with uh, with a lot of them, uh, uh, so you can kind of tell uh, um, you know where they're coming from because we always list the city they buy from, and we really pride ourselves on the fact that. Not only do we have a great local business and great uh, 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 great amount of people that buy from us in the area, we have customers from not just Wisconsin but all over many you know even states away Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota that buy from us regularly. So yep. we've been able to offer things to customers that a lot of stores just can't simply do, and and a lot of that is especially in the snowmobiling side of it. Because of all that technical knowledge that that I have personally learned over all the years, we apply apply that to the setup of each individual sled that leaves here, and and I'm probably some of the people that have even contacted you and and, and asked and requested this uh, podcast. They'll tell you firsthand, you know, there is no such thing as a sled out of the crate here. Every yep. sled is personally set up for every customer, mm-hmm. and uh, that's something I really pride myself in. That's great. That's fantastic. That's the way it should be. So. Yep, and that's the way it should be, you know. Yep. And I, I tell every customer this: they got all those adjustments on there, and they do you no good if you don't know what they are. And worse yet, if nobody knows how, what they are and don't adjust it for you, the manufacturer spent a lot of money, a lot of time, uh, engineering and researching and developing all these cool shocks and suspensions. And if you don't make it work to its best, it's doing you no good at all. You're you're paying way too much money for what you got then. Absolutely, you're right there. That's fine. so. All right, Bobby. Well, it was, it was great talking to you. It's uh, it's been it's been a, you know, a number of years since I uh, last seen you, so it was great uh, catch, catching up with you. And uh, now that I got this uh, media, it's it's great to to uh, talk to all these people again. So uh, it's it's been fantastic uh, talking with you and uh, kind of recapping your career. Yeah, I uh, and I uh, I want to tell you and uh, all the listeners out there, I appreciate you having enough interest to still want to know what an old guy is still doing <laughs> these days. You know, and. Uh, uh, in, uh, you know, especially you and, you know, and your brother Ken, uh, you know, if you guys ever get remotely close to our store, I, uh, I would be insulted if you didn't come by and say hi. Oh, you we'll know? do that. I'll tell Ken that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and if you, uh, guys ever have another program or you need some insight or want some help on any projects, um, please contact me. I, I, I love talking racing. Yeah, you know, I know. It's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's a fun part of my past that I, I never want to give up, uh, or forget, um, and it's uh, helped make me the person I am. So uh, I'll never, I'll never forget any of that. That's great. Okay, Bobby Donahue from Donahue uh, Supersports. Uh, great talking to you today.